Uh, the psalmist is saying, you can tell where I've been. You can tell my tracks, wanderings and, and, and trail or wanderings and path are the same word. You can tell where I've been by the tears that have been put into thy bottle. You can have a seat. I run across this verse of Scripture. I love to find things in the Bible that are likenesses to other things that tell truth. Uh, it's not homiletics as I teach it, but it sure is fun. And sometimes a preacher needs to have fun preaching and not just stay with a regiment. Uh, I, I went over this verse and I said, Lord, what are you saying? What are you trying to tell us about tears in a bottle? Well, I went to uh, some study books and booklets and pamphlets and other studies, uh, word studies, and I found out that I had no idea that I, I marvel at the depth of God's Word. I've been studying it. For a long time. And I marvel at how little I know. And I marvel at how much is in that book. The Jews had a, had a history of doing things different than we do. But they had one that I want to bring out tonight. They, would, they had a little bottle that was about three inches to six inches tall. Brother Newton found one such bottle on the Internet and put it up there for me. It was a little bottle about this high. It had a top on it. And these Jews would do an absolutely unthought-of deed with that bottle. When they wept, they would catch their tears in that bottle. That bottle was given, uh, says Unger's Bible Dictionary, that bottle was given at marriage ceremonies to the couple because they were young and starting out, and everybody knows that marriage will produce tears. Can I get a witness? For the woman as much as the man, sir. And uh, at graduation services or at services where young people... We're heading out into life to make a life for themselves. They would present them with a present of one of those bottles. And during their lifetime, they would go through difficulties. They would go through hard places. They would go through unexplainable pain. And naturally, they would weep. They were told by way of instruction when the bottle was given that they were to catch those tears and put them in that bottle. And that bottle was set in a very obvious place. That bottle was never to be put where it could not be seen. It was to be placed on a mantle. It was to be placed in a trafficked area in the house, in the home. And that bottle was to be in plain view. Because it had a plain emphasis. That bottle 
was, it was a disgrace. Are you listening? It was a disgrace for that bottle to ever be broken or given away. When a Jew died, they would take that bottle and place it in their coffin. And it simply meant that life for them and weeping for them was over. And the bottle was in the grave with the body. I said, now, Lord, teaching me that, what in the world are you trying to say? Well, I continued to link up with knowledge. I found out something about knowledge. He will disperse himself to you if you want him. If you want to stay ignorant, you can die dumb. Or you can have some knowledge. Get that Bible and read it every day and ask God. And the Holy Ghost will tell you. I got to studying and I got to looking. And uh, I found out something about these tears in this bottle. I found out, and bear with me for just a moment, I'll give you this and be done. I found out, number one, that tears were a symbol of repentance. A symbol of repentance. I want you to notice what, what David said in Psalm 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgression. I never knew this. And he said, And my sin is ever before me. What did he see that reminded him of his repentance. That little bottle probably says scholars greater than I am about the Bible. That, that bottle placed in an obvious, seeable place had a message to a man who had repented. It was a symbol of his getting right when his sin got him wrong. And the Bible also says in Psalm 40 and verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined and heard my cry. Amen. I'm glad that when tears began to fall from the face of David in Psalm 51, in his repentant state, he caught those tears to remind him of what had transpired in his life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, may I bring this home just a little bit closer to all of us. How many of you can remember a day when you broke down before God over your trespasses and over your transgressions and you did not feel good a lick about your situation, I keep going back a lot and referring you back a lot to when I was saved. And if you were preaching up here much, you would do the same thing because it was a place where my weeping took place. It was a place where repentance took place. It was a, a place where my tears became a repentant reminder, a symbol of where I got right with God. I remember the night very well. I remember... Not only the night, but I know, I remember the process of the night. And I remember the brokenness of that night when I wept 
before an altar and prayed, not popping my gum and smiling at some girl and playing some religious game. I came broken before God because I seen the Lamb of God hung out to dry for my own iniquity. And I wept that I was the nail that hung in there. Let me ask you a question. Can you go back to a place where you could gather some tears tonight and remember? Or was it just a trip down the aisle, blowing bubbles, kneeling down and say, Lord, if you got time to save me, amen, I'll go ahead and get wet and keep doing what I've always been doing. Sir, if there's not a change in your life, there's no conversion in your life. And if there's no conversion in your life, there's no Christ in your life. But praise God, when Jesus is in there, I'm glad, hallelujah, we can say we are saved by grace. Can somebody holler amen? Huh. Those tears were caught in a bottle and they were set in, a, in an obvious place as a symbol of repentance. Every time I see a sinner weeping, I, I, I remember uh, two weeks ago today, do you remember the lady who was over here sobbing and weeping and begging God and pleading with God the Father to touch her? I hear her when I tell the story. How many times has that scene been replayed in the opportunities I've had to preach? Not only here, but in other places. I've seen people weep in remorse. I've seen people weep before God as a symbol of their brokenness. And I want to tell you, it is a therapy as sure as I'm standing in this pulpit. Tears are a language God understands. And tears are cleansing agents that will cleanse your soul if you weep before God over your broken state. May I say to you tonight, salvation is not something God gives to a man who intends to stay dry-eyed. I wish I could say that again. Tears are not, uh, uh, salvation is not something God intends to give somebody who's going to stay dry-eyed. You say, you won't catch me weeping. My daddy taught me better. I'm a man. <laughs> I beg your pardon. I choose to disagree with that statement flat-footed right here in church. Any man who does not know how to weep over life and weep over God and weep over Jesus and weep over Golgotha and weep over his own sin and weep over his own hell-bound soul, he ain't much of a man. Take that to the bank with you. I've seen some pretty big boys squalling. I've seen some pretty big men weeping. And it was over the fact they had broken the heart of God. Number two, I found out there's something else that those tears represent. And that is, not only are they a symbol of repentance, but number two, they are a source of remembrance. A source of remembrance. In order not to commit the sin again, in order to remember that the sin was committed and should not be a repeat offense, that tear bottle was to be looked at, and he remembered his sin against God. He remembered his transgression before the Lord. And the remembrance would cause him not to allow it to happen again. His remembrance of it and his mind being jogged by the view of that vase would cause that man 
not to commit that same transgression again. We do not have any record in the Bible that David ever committed adultery as he did with Bathsheba and wrote out of Psalm 51 and 3, 51 and 5, 51 and 4. We do not have any other place in the Bible where it tells us that he transgressed God's law like he did in Second Samuel chapter 11. And Second Samuel chapter 12 is where Nathan pointed his finger at him. And Psalm 51 is where he repented. And you do not find David ever, ever doing anything like, I said, like, are you listening? I said, like that again. I wonder why. He looked at that veil or that vase of tears and he remembered. I was a man after God's own heart. I was a man of pure motives. I was a man of military valor. I was a man that made giants die. I was a man who cut his head off and carried his head with the sword in one hand, his hand in the other one. I stood in valor and power with God, only to be cut down by a woman's body and by a woman's life and by the view of a woman by a pool. I thank God and I bless the Lord tonight that I have some memories of failure. I have some memories of falling. I have some memories in my life and just like I look into this book and see the examples like David, David could look at that little vase and say, I transgressed him one time and repented. I will remember my transaction again, and I'll not allow myself to falter and fall into that same trap again. Oh, praise God tonight. I'm glad I've got me a vessel. I'm glad I got me a place where I can weep over the truth. I'm glad I got me a place where I can weep over the mind of God. I'm glad I may not have a vase and I may not be catching my tears as was the tradition of the Jews, but I sure am glad I have examples like David. I have picturesque points of view from this Bible that teach me I don't have to do it. If I do, this is what's going to happen. I'm glad to know God brought repentance to my heart and now I have a remembrance of how it used to be. And that remembrance keeps me tied to the horns of the altar. Somebody help me give God some praise. Nightclub life, whoring around on the street, dealing anything that would produce a dollar, doing it my way, doing it if it felt good no matter who it hurt, doing as I did well please and did not care who liked it and who didn't. I thought church wasn't nothing but a house full of fools. I thought they were boring people that didn't have a life, so they go there to express their emptiness. I had no idea that it wasn't the church, it wasn't the crowd, it wasn't the carpet, it wasn't the pews, it wasn't the lights, it wasn't the air conditioning, or the lack of it. It was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the Lord. They would... Use those bottles to catch their tears. They would weep into those bottles. I said, why? The Holy Spirit said, listen. It was 
a symbol of repentance. I have a genuine problem with people who call themselves Christians. Now listen to this statement and listen to it good for your judgment. I have a problem with people who call themselves Christians and make light of weeping. I have a problem with somebody talking to me about how robust and manly they are. They can go through anything in life and nothing will ever budge them to an emotional crying. I've seen 300-pound men in overalls, such as the case in Memphis, Tennessee, not long ago, when Jennifer McLaughlin's uh, cousin, the old gentleman that comes to camp meeting here from Memphis that wears the overalls, it's his son, came to church at the East Hill Baptist Church while I was preaching. He weighed 370 to 400 pounds if he weighed an ounce. Came in with a beard, arms that big, shoulders broad and wide, had a look like the devil was in him. He came to the house of God, sat over on the left-hand side. I preached the Word of God, gave a simple testimony. That boy came down the outside aisle, folded up in the pew, and wept like a baby. If I'd have had a bottle, I could have caught him for him. Repentance. What makes people do that, preacher? The brokenness of what they've done to Jesus Christ. And then... They're a source of remembrance. When you look at that vase, when you look at that catch basin of repentant tears, it would cause you to be reminded, oh no, Mm-mm. I will avoid that at all costs. I'll not yank God out of heaven and crucify Him afresh. I will, whatever I must do, I will give myself to walk uprightly in Him. Because I don't want to weep over breaking the heart of God again. Drugs break God's heart. A drug addict ought to weep over the brokenness he brought to Jesus. When Jesus Christ will die for a cocaine addict, when Jesus Christ will die for an alcoholic, I want to tell you whiskey is nothing more than a smell that God hates because it destroys the life that partakes of it. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God hates the very thought of it. He hates the very sight of it. He hates the very mention of it. And all of us ought to be broken over the fact that we were drunken bums. And we ought to be remembering that life is better than that. We don't have to live that way. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I think we ought to bless His name. I think we ought to rejoice. I can be reminded I'm not going to keep living like a yard goat. Hallelujah! Goes right there. They would... They would catch those tears in a bottle because it reminded them of their repentance in a broken state. Just going to church won't get you off that rug in the rapture.
Some of you need to hear this. Getting off of that rug in the rapture or getting off that pavement in the rapture or getting off your front porch or your couch in the rapture is going to take more than a walk down a religious aisle and signing a paper and saying, I'm a member. Hell will be filled with church members. Are you listening to what I'm saying? People who never had a real repentant heart of weeping. <laughs> the other Thursday night, Lewis and I sat in that little room right up there in the baptismal area. Every other room was taken with counseling. We went in that little room. And I said, Lewis, if you don't know you're saved and you're wondering about it, why don't we just make today the day we get it straight? You didn't ask me to come and talk to you because you wanted to have a conversation with somebody. You wanted to be saved. You wanted this settled. Am I right? Yes. I said, when you come in here, was it settled? He said, no, sir. I said, when you go out, can it be settled? He said, well, yes, sir. I said, let's settle it. And we'll use tonight as a forever in your life. And your doubt is going to stay in this room. And your shout is going into that auditorium. I said, now I'm not going to pray. I'm going to listen to you. You tell God what's on your heart. Next thing I heard was... (laughs) 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 And all of a sudden, I looked up. (laughs) And I wouldn't advise any of you smaller guys calling Lewis a coward. I would not tell him that he is not a man because he cried. I would not go up to him and call him a sissy because we may bury you around Wednesday. He just began to weep before God. Have you? Or do you just go back to a dry-eyed set of circumstances and the bottle would have been close but empty Because there's no real weeping and repentance. Number two, a source of remembrance. And then, number three, let me give you the third one. Tears were a strategy of recognition. Tears were a strategy of recognition. Let me look look at these verses. This is the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told by God, you're going to die. Isaiah prophesied on him. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Are you listening? And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, he said, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. God told me to come tell you, get your funeral arrangements and your will prepared because you're going to die and not live. I want you to see what happened in uh, the rest of this portion of Scripture. Then he turned his face to the wall, Travis, and he prayed, notice, unto the Lord and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, Remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And I want you to see this. And Hezekiah wept. That word sorely in the Hebrew means uncontrollably. 
He wept until it was dry heaves. He wept until there was no water in his tear ducts nor ability to produce it. He wept until one fellow, one, one commentator on that word so said, until he could not weep anymore. Have you ever got to weeping and you was crying but nothing was coming out? That's where he was. Verse number 4 and 5. The bite, Have you got those? Can you put those up for me? Uh, look at 4. It came to pass a 4. Isaiah was gone out into the middle of the court. Isaiah said, you're going to die. Get it right. Might as well get it straight. It's over. See ya. Walks out into the middle of the courtyard. And God told him. The word of the Lord came unto him. And he said, turn again. Tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. God bypassed his weeping. God bypassed his condition. God bypassed his face. God bypassed his spirit. God bypassed Hezekiah, period. And look, it does not say that he heard his tears. It said he seen his tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And, and Isaiah prophesied on him, and God gave him 15 years to the day. Extension on his life for weeping. Just weeping. Tears are a language that God understands. I hope sweat is. Because I'm catching my bottle full. Don't ever worry about me. When I get good and soaking wet, that's when I'm having my time as a kid in a sandbox. Don't ever worry about me. If I ever fall over dead, push me over there in my chair and call somebody after the service is over and haul me out and put on my graveyard, that sucker died happy. He wept and God picked him up. I was I was thinking about this today. Uh, it was a it was a strategy of recognition. Oh Hezekiah didn't know what to do to get God to recognize him. He didn't know what to do to get God to pay attention to him. So all he could do was just cry and weep, and he wept sorely and cried and wept and wept sorely. And God seen him not for his commitment of sin, not for his commitment of morality, not because of his goodness, but he saw him crying. I got to thinking about that. How does a child get his daddy's attention? How does he get his daddy's attention or recognition? How does a child get his mom or daddy? 
to appreciate Him or recognize Him. He'll yank on you at first. And if you don't, Daddy, 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 Daddy. How many of you know that that's the language that children have? Daddy. A long time it was Diddy, Diddy, Diddy at my house. Now you get to where you listen, but you don't hear them. Mm-hmm. If you ain't got no children, don't tell me all about it now, but I'm telling you one thing you need to hear. They will, they will talk a lot and say nothing. And you learn when to listen and when not to. About 90% of the time you don't. But then when they start, <laughs> what? What is it? What will you do? What is the matter with you? That's what Isaiah did. I mean, Hezekiah. He said, I couldn't get his attention. God help me right here. He, I couldn't get his attention with my do good. I couldn't get his attention with my morals. I couldn't get his attention with my sanctification. I couldn't get his attention with my doing right. Oh, he turned his face to the wall and started squalling. Look at, look at Psalm 40. Throw that up there for me. One and two, Timmy. It said, uh, if, if, yeah, there it is. I, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me. Listen to this now. And heard my cry. Notice the, the, the next verse. And the Bible says, And He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. He brought me up. That word, brought me up. Oh, G. Campbell Morgan said, It means that God picked Him up out of the mire with His own hand. And brought him up out of the quagmire of sin and set his feet on a solid rock. Oh, because he cried. It was a strategy to get recognized. Every once in a while, I'll get in prayer. And I'll go to squalling, and I'll go to praising God, and squalling, and praising God. And I'm scared if my eyes are closed, I'm scared to reach out. I'm afraid I'm going to bump into something I can't see. Because tears are a language that attract the affections of our Savior. And He cares for us when we weep. (laughs) One more. Have you got time for one more? One more. It's a sign of rejoicing. I want you to go to those verses right there in your Bible. Luke, Luke chapter 7. Notice what it says. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would sit and eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what was taking place. He knew a Pharisee and he knew him well. He knew where they lived. He knew all about them. And he knew, he knew well that the Jews looked on them as trash. But he goes into the house and sits down to eat meat with him. And behold, here it goes, a woman 
She lived in the city too, which was a sinner. Notice it doesn't say she was a Pharisee. It just calls her exactly what she was, a sinner. Notice what it says. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat with the, uh, in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. <laughs> I never had seen this. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet, not with the ointment, but with her tears. The Holy Spirit asked me this. Where did she get enough tears to wipe that much feet? She would have run out of tears, crying them all at once. He told me she brought the bottle. You see, the alabaster box in one hand and the bottle in another, she wasn't supposed to have the bottle unless she was going to a funeral. She was. He said at one place, she has brought this ointment and her tears to anoint my body for the burial. That, that bottle was to be set on that mantle and placed in her tomb, her coffin, her grave. But she brings it. She's taking it to a funeral. She pours it. i got evidence. She pours it on his feet with weeping. Her tears are falling on his feet. The ointment is mixed with her tears and falling on her feet. And I will go to heaven believing. She poured her past. She poured her grief. She poured... Did it not say she was a sinner? She poured all her acts of iniquity out onto God. Help me. God! Help me. She poured all she was, all she ever had been, and all she ever hoped to be. She poured her past out. She poured her poison out. She poured her weeping out. She poured her guilt out. She poured her confusion out. She poured it out. Good God Almighty! She poured it all out. And all that she ever was was poured on to the Lamb of God that not too many days after that particular incident at the Pharisee's house went to Calvary. He said, Simon, I need to talk to you. Say on, Lord. What about? I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. You gave no water to wash my feet. The basic of life, the basis of life, the simplicity of life. Water was amply provided. He could have got basins full of it. But he brought not the basics of worship. Because when a Jew came into another Jew's house, they would take their shoes off 
they would, go, they would gird a towel and they would wash the feet. Either coming in or going out, their feet was washed. That's why Jesus did it in the upper room. It was symbolic of brotherhood and it was a, symbolic, a symbolism of humility. And they would wash feet. He said, you gave me nothing but this woman. It says this. I've never seen this. From the time I came in the door, she'd been tagging around behind me with her alabaster box and her tears. You gave me nothing. And you walked with me. She was a sinner. And she poured out her past. And he just gently turned around and said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. You are completely and totally made whole. And then that bunch of pharisaical Jews and that bunch of religious nobodies, that bunch of, as far as I'm concerned, empty talkers, said, who is this that can forgive sins? They never saw an ounce of truth in what he did or what she did. They were just hung up in religion. And I want to tell you, every one of them is in the bottom of hell tonight because they missed out on the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Give Him glory and praise to Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for just another tidbit of truth that helped us. What have we learned here tonight? Your tears are important. They're important enough for you to remember when you wept in repentance. Go back with me. Or can you? Go back with me to the night you were saved and the brokenness over your sin. Your tears ought to be a source of reminding you, I will not ever put myself back into a place of weeping like that again. I'm broken enough. I'll not allow myself with that particular problem to cause me to weep like that again. I may weep, but not like that. When we look at that bottle... It is a strategy of recognition. It is weeping and the tears in that bottle. It was also said in one of the pages of study, it said they would go stand before that bottle and they would pray and rock back and forth and quote Scriptures in their home. And it was a strategy to welcome God into their praise and into their family and into their worship. Because certainly, tears are a strategy that God will... He inhabits the praise of God's people. And that praise has the potential of bringing tears if joy is expressed. And then, it's a sign of rejoicing. Don't you know, that woman rejoiced and gave glory to God over the fact that her tears were poured out on Him and her past was forgiven. 
How many of you would get out of your seat tonight, come find you a place in this altar? You may not weep. That's not my job to get you to that. This altar does not facilitate somebody to weep. But I wonder how many tonight would come and say, I have repented, and tonight I have been taught that I broke the heart of God, and it ought to break the heart of mine. How many of you would get out of your seat and say, I will remember my weeping, and I will let it keep me from my transgression again. And I'll ask God to help me once more. I wonder how many of you will come tonight and, and get before God and see that your weeping and that your prone position on the altar is a strategy of God's reaching out and recognizing you. You can sit and look if you please, but I would encourage you to either turn around right where you are in the pew or find yourself in the altar